Amen. And we'll go ahead and let our uh, children, if they would like to, uh, join my wife and my daughter, uh, who will be um, <laughs> having fun. Hey, uh, do me a favor. Make sure you tell Miss Cindy you're going to be in there for two hours. All right. <laughs> Y'all thought I was kidding. That was cute. Um, no, I am. Guys, I want you to know I'm, I'm standing up here today very, very humbled. I'm, uh, I, it does my heart well to uh, be very transparent in this moment. And so right now I know what I believe the Lord is impressing on my heart for the next uh, four Sundays. And um, I know the discomfort that it's going to bring. I know the discomfort that it's already bringing me. And so, uh, man, I'm excited uh, I, because I pray that the discomfort is the gentleness of God reshaping us. That, that's my prayer because uh, he, he has a way of doing the amazing where it's world-changing, but it's done with great compassion and mercy and love. And that, that sounds better than me saying he demolishes thrones and destroys idols. But nonetheless, that's also what I'm praying, is that our God would demolish thrones and destroy idols. And um, as, we, as we meet today, make no mistake about it, um, that is very much um, focused in on this time of year. That there are thrones established and there are idols that need to be destroyed. So I'm going to ask you to do something with me as we get into the Word this month. I'm going to ask that you join me. I, I, by the way, I'm not going to do anything that I'm not asking you to do. But I'm going to ask you to join me. And what I want us to do is lay out all of the comforts of a season and I want us to lay them before the feet of our Savior and say, God, would you expose the things that comfort me? Would you do that? I mean, I know this sounds a little uncomfortable, but let's ask God, Lord, this, there's a lot of things that are fun during this time of year. And I, the things that I find joy in, the things that I find comfort in, I, I want there to be exposure. And then, Lord, I want to have a heart that is sensitive to you, to where you, my King, can change what is necessary. Jesus, I feel so inadequate because I am. I'm the most undeserving person in the world for your love and your mercy. And you show it. Lord, that's a credit to you and not me. That's a statement to your mercy and not anything I've done. And so I pray that, Lord, I would decrease in this study. And, Father, as we bring a lot of information to the table, and, and I pray, God, that our hearts would be enlightened by truth. And that every day we would step closer into this intimacy I believe you've saved us for. 
help us, God, to celebrate the truth that one day there will be no separation of your glory and our awe. There will be no sin. There will be no sickness. No distraction. But until that day comes, God, we trust your grace is sufficient. In Jesus' name, amen. Advent. Now, I want to make sure you know what that word means. I've said this a thousand times. I'm going to give you the definition, and then we're going to back off of it a little bit so that it doesn't feel too overwhelming. But the word Advent is a term that describes the arrival of a king or someone that's notable. So when we talk about the Advent season in a church, and not really even within a church, within the life of a follower of Christ, what we're saying is, is it's that season of a notable recognition or the recognition of someone noble and great and majestic. It's the preparation, okay? Um, Now, this is a good object lesson for us on this side of getting together with family. Because I know prior to me ruining Thanksgiving this year, my wife did, she was full-fledged preparation mode on everything. Let's prepare. Let's do this. Let's sit this. The, The engineering mindset she had to organize schedules for the oven was amazing to me. I mean, I don't even know where my other boot is. I've been without it for a couple of weeks. I'm convinced it's gone. I'm never going to see it again. But the preparation, the preparation we make, my, my very simple question to us is, what kind of preparation are, do, do we make for the recognition that Messiah has come and for the second advent that he's coming again? And he is coming again. I mean, the arrival of a king is something that our hearts must reflect, right? But listen, just listen to the snapshot for a second. 83% of people agree that Christmas is about spending time with family and friends. That's good. Not completely right. 62% agree that Christmas is a time when we should be generous to people, less fortunate than ourselves. It would be hypocritical for me to bash that and then say, hey, by the way, bring your angel tree gifts on Wednesday. I mean, so you get it from the church too, right? Certainly there's biblical premise to recognize that there's other people in our world that need our help. 41% agreed that Christmas is about celebrating that God loves humanity. 24% though disagree with that statement. We know nothing about family disagreement. 40% said Christmas is a good excuse for taking time off and doesn't really have any meaning today. But 34% would disagree yet again. Boy, we love to disagree. But what about the arrival of a king? I mean, has God's people, has his servants really prepared for the celebration that Messiah has come and the promise that he's returning? An angel of the Lord appeared to shepherds to announce the birth of Jesus. And 51% of people don't believe it. 20% don't even know about that, and 28% of that 50 don't believe it. So it's roughly there, that 51, 
Thank you, George Barna, for doing things that I would never think to do. He's a statistician, by the way. Wise men were guided by a star, brought Jesus gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We all know that, right? Okay, good. Well, again, 50%. No, that's not, that's not it. It's about mama's casserole. The newborn baby Jesus laid in the manger. 47% don't believe in that. Of that, 24 don't even know that it happened. The other 29 said, no, it just never happened. I mean, so when we're hearing from America, this is what we're getting. We're getting this definition of Advent. There's no notoriety. There's no expectation. There's no waiting for something. This is basically just a time for us to get together with family. We're going to be charitable. We're going to be nice. We're going to be good. High-five each other at the end of the day. Get depressed on what we've spent a month for and then go about our day. Social media is really not good for much, but it did bring something to my attention that I, I did agree with, and, and I did see where it said, we go from, I'm going to butcher this, so just get the gist of it, but we go from uh, uh, Thanksgiving to Black Friday to Cyber Monday to shopping to Christmas. No wonder on New Year's everybody's saying, yeah, we need to start our life over. I mean, it kind of makes sense, but that's I digress. That's not where I'm going to be here today. My, my prayer is that we would, as a people, say, how can a world expect the arrival of a king when there's such disconnection to the glorious news of that he came to begin with? When the church was polled, or when people who called themselves Christians, let me clarify, that's a major distinction. Of those who consider themselves Christian or even spiritual, I'll even go that far, 51% agree that the statement that Jesus, the birth of Jesus is irrelevant to my Christmas. 51% of spiritual people said that's irrelevant to the message, to the tone of the Christmas season. Those are, those are people who say they're religious in nature. They're, they're the birth of Messiah is not even pushing them out. It's just, it doesn't impact their commitment to charity or good works. And it's here where I'm fighting back the urge to make bold statements like charity disconnected from the gospel is just wasted anyway. But I'll say it. Our charity disconnected from gospel connection is wasted anyway. I mean, do you, you know we could be philanthropic without any connection to eternal life. 61% agree that Christmas is mainly for children. So, I, I'm looking at you and I'm thinking, Father, how do I pastor your people during this time? Something's got to change. And it's not something that I want to do where I want to come up and make everybody feel uncomfortable per se, but I'm at a place where I'm saying, God, by your, by your mercy, allow me to make everyone feel uncomfortable. And to do that, I think we need to ask ourselves, are we postured to recognize the king? First Peter chapter 1 is where, let's land on scripture because everything else is irrelevant. Let's, first Peter chapter 1, and let's start in verse 10. And, and let's ask God to open our hearts to this, okay? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. 1 Peter. Oh, by the way, I loved the way Aaron Meeks said 
1 Peter. Uh, one thing you might not know about, uh, or see, Ashley, not Aaron. Sorry, I was looking at uh, Aaron, and Ashley is with our babies. But uh, Ashley's parents were missionaries in Australia. And that's how our brothers and sisters in Australia uh, note that. And so after our retake, um, we, we asked her to keep that because I thought it was sweet. Nonetheless, in 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12, Ashley, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time of the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Okay, let me say that again. Okay, so concerning the salvation that we come to church and we sing about, concerning the salvation that we all clap our hands for and raise our hands about, Concerning that salvation, let's sober up to this reality and realize that prophets, they prophesied about this grace that you and I are enjoying right now, and they searched, and they begged, and they longed to know, when was this going to go down? When was the suffering of the Christ going to take place? When was all of this that was predicted, when was it going to happen? And the glory that was to follow. Oh, how they longed for the glory and the name of God to just go global and impact the nations. When was this going to happen? And as they were searching, God, when was this going to happen? It dawned on them. Their ministry was for us sitting here today. Not for them, but for us. We were the ones that were going to see it. We were the ones that were going to gather in collections, the church and congregations, to wrap our arms around each other and say, he died, he's alive, he's coming again. We were the ones that were going to live in the incredibly powerful momentum of the empty tomb. And they knew that. They knew that. We're the people of promise. And for centuries, God's people prepared. They prepared those who would listen for the coming of his son and our only hope for life. So let's start today by breaking this passage down into some basic thoughts. And the first one is this. I want us to look at what it meant to wait for the unknown but promised Messiah. And, and again, in full transparency, this is the part where there's sweat on my brow and my hands are, are, are sweaty. I'm nervous because I want to share with you some historical elements that I believe could change the way we look at things. I want to rob or to destroy, basically, the gentle imagery of the snow falling down and, uh, you know, just lay it all over the ground and, you know, we're just kicking it, romantically holding it. Let's do away with that and let's see what, really, what it really meant when Messiah came. Okay? Let's kind of push the sleds out of the way for a minute. Let the snowmans melt. I'll just keep going. Uh, and uh, what did it mean 
for the promised Messiah. Now, I'm going to ask us to pray again. And I'm going to pray that God would give us an attentive heart. I do not want to lose you over the next five to six minutes. And I want you to be committed to hear this and ask God to open your heart to this. So, Father, we pray for wisdom that comes from you alone. And we ask, God, that you would be so kind as to ruin anything that we have under the banner of Christmas or celebration that doesn't rightly anticipate and celebrate what it meant that you came. Give us minds to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. The birth occurred during one of the most dreadful times in history. So far cry from the little sweet little nativity we want to set up and put on the end table. I mean, but let's go past what we're currently experiencing. Let's go past the aggravating gas prices under the banner of this is frustrating politically. And let's go to what the political landscape truly looked like when Messiah was born. I mean, we could go back and read different writers from this time and the memories of this crisis shaped memories and perceptions for decades afterwards. Matter of fact, for us to really understand Christmas, and let's go back to the first Judean War. And I know that's what you wanted to do. I know when you woke up this day, you were like, man, please let us sing Silent Night. Please let us talk about the first Judean War. Well, Merry Christmas. This is it, okay? And when we do that, we're gonna, I want to introduce you to a phrase you might not have heard before, and it's called the Archelian Revolt. And what in the world is that? None of these names are popular. But to understand it, we find the history in Matthew chapter 2. In one simple phrase, Herod was troubled. <laughs> what in the world troubled Herod? They fled, Herod died. What, what does all that mean? I mean, how are we to take our children by the hand and say, let's prepare for the king when we're not even examining what these little statements mean, well, here's what it, here's what it means. King Herod the Great died in 4 BC. And while he, in the midst of the time that he died, there was, the church was just, or the religious definition was just in so much turmoil. I mean, the Jewish church was just being ransacked. Uh, we had uh, some that were just, branching off from the Jewish church, teaching just horrible truths. And then we had politically, it was just a nightmare. The, the government ruled with terror and threat. It was bloody, basically. I mean, I, I want you to see this. I, I can't, I don't have the articulation to, to paint the picture for you. This was a bloody historical period. And there was crazy paranoia everywhere. I mean, just for a moment, put your ear down. And I'm not asking you which candidate. Was it candidate A you supported or candidate B that you supported during the last election? I just want you to go back to listen to the basic water cooler conversations 
when no one trusted the, the government and the electoral process. That's all I want you to remember. Because the last person you want engaged in that discussion right now is me because I wouldn't have any fans in the room, and this is already tense as it is. As I say that, I want you to remember that feeling because it doesn't come close to what was happening. It can't even compare. I mean, we're at a place where families were being killed in the streets. Anybody that spoke ill of the government was being put to death. It was horrible. Herod ruled through mass, mass terror, widespread surveillance. Sounded like what would eventually be the way Stalin would one day run the Soviet Union. By this time, Herod had killed a lot of members of his family, and it was in the process of trying to execute his own son for treason. He had killed all the male who could take claim to the throne. How's that for a government? Sometimes I feel like we don't pause to remember that. We're just like, when did you put your tree up? Yesterday. <laughs> Loser. July. And you know, she's not here. I can't say that. I won't mention Brooke by name, but that's... <sighs> he had killed members of his family. He was trying to kill his own son. Killed all the male children who could lay claim to this royal dynasty. People said he was going crazy. He didn't trust anyone, and mental illness was becoming kind of the social expectation of the one who was leading their country. The question then came up, what happens when Herod dies? Well, I, need, I want us to answer that question today because I want it to posture us for the next month, so stay with me. For 150 years, Jewish Palestine had been divided and they were at war with each other. And the only thing keeping this war kind of from getting out of control was Herod. Herod would just threaten everybody. So without Herod, here's what everybody would say. This guy's going crazy. He's killed all this. He's killed children. He's, he's going to kill his own son. We got to stop this guy. But here's the problem. When he's dead, what's really going to happen? Because when he got, goes, the Jewish state, it's, it's going to be decimated. This, this whole Jewish landscape is going to be at a huge upheaval in war. Herod's death, some were hoping that it was going to mark the rebirth of a purified and independent Jewish state. You know what they called those people who believed that? Zealots. You ever heard of those guys? Jesus chose one to follow him. That's for a later conversation. We're trying to just understand the politics right now, right? You have a crazy person running the whole thing. His only political opportunity, scare everybody. If they're not scared, kill them. Take away things they need. If I'm not going to be king, kill the people who could take over. I don't care how young they are. Just kill them. 
My son, he's a threat. Kill him too. What happens when crazy over here dies? Well, we'll finally go to war. And nothing's going to stop us, and it's going to be horrible. Well, there was these two guys, Matthias and Judas. And they said, you know what? I'm ready for this pure religious state. So they went to the entrance of the temple, and there was this huge golden eagle that had been erected by uh, Herod. And they tore it down because they thought, look, man, he's almost dead. Let's go ahead and get a start on this thing. It's the holidays. I'm kidding. That was inappropriate. But nonetheless, let's tear down this horribly large political statement. Let's destroy it. Let's get rid of it. Pure Jewish state, finally. But the problem was, Herod didn't die. Herod went crazy. He got super mad. He got so mad, he took those guys and he burned them alive. And anybody that followed them. Then he died. And his death, well, maybe we could get somebody that will help keep stable the Jewish state and well, we'll have some good, good leadership. Who were they? Well, since you're so hungry, I'm going to tell you. We have different historians tell us. Number one was Judas, the son of Hezekiah. He was popular till Herod killed him, so he wasn't going to work. Then there was another guy by the name of Simon. He would be a king. That would be good. But he burnt down the royal palace at Jericho, and he took everything that was left inside of it. He also set fire to many of the other king's houses in several places of the country and completely destroyed them and permitted those that were with him to take what was left in them and they took from the people. And, well, that was horrifying. There was another guy, last of these kings, was a shepherd. <laughs> the main qualification, I'm not making this up, he had unusual height. So the Roman governor, he went to fight these three men. And when he got the collected forces of all of them, he made them slaves. So I know, talk about history, some of us exit. So everybody look right here. I want you to come back to me. While all of this was happening, while there was still blood stain in some of the buildings or smoke smoldering from some of the ashes, four miles away, it is very likely there was a young lady named Mary, a young man named Joseph, and a newborn baby. What are we doing? The news of this king squashed thrones. The news of this king divided nations. Now, let's do something very unique and something that I pray targets the fear of any denominational rigidity that wouldn't let you look this way, but let's look at the spiritual realm of things. 
the entire opposition of God now set its eyes on destroying that. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Yes, indeed. Let earth receive her king. Absolutely. Let every heart prepare in room and heaven and nature sing. Nothing wrong with that. That's glory. My only problem is we don't sing it loud enough. It's not those things that are breaking the message. It's the pulse to go back to a mindset that's vacant of the king's coming. It's starving our culture. It's, it's killing families. It's protecting thrones that have no place keeping their, their establishment. Let's go back. Historically tells us the siege continued through Samaria. And when we read the New Testament, when you start in Matthew chapter 2, and you go into Matthew 3 and 4 in your D-life right now, you're into those passages right now. When we're going through Matthew, we're starting to read some of these miracles. Do you understand? It's very likely that entire landscape is now totally different than it ever was in the Old Testament. Do you understand that it is a ravaged place by this point in history? Do you understand that this, this place where we see a people who are hurting and scared and paranoid, this it's all happened because the, the sin of man's heart led them to a lust for power and sin was ruling and wanting to kill the promise of God. But all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, this promise was still carrying the weight as if it could only come from the voice of God himself. That yes, you're going to strike, but you're simply going to bruise him. He's going to crush your head. I mean, do you understand the weight of God's word was waiting on this as the king was born? And he's come. He's here. He came. The promise had been made. The Messiah had come. And concerning the salvation, the prophets who had prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, to be mine, searched, they inquired carefully, and inquiring what person it would be or time it would be, the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating them. This message is for you. Let's keep going here because... In the same way there was a king, there was a king that we were waiting for, their, their faithfulness in searching, their waiting was not for them, but was for us. Again, go back and look at verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. So imagine the historical events that we read about in the Old Testament. Imagine all of these things. Go back, just pause for a moment. Think about the Old Testament and how it postures us to wait or to celebrate, or to be stirred over what Jesus has meant in his coming. Do you recognize in my lifetime, in seminary, I've heard pastors say, as we've gone out to eat in between class, I've heard men say, I don't know if I could ever teach the Old Testament. I couldn't I can do that. I mean, there. What relevant is it? It's the gospel. Are you serious? I mean, the Old Testament postures us to say, oh Lord, by the words of Isaiah, by the, 
the tears of Jeremiah, by the, the faithfulness of your prophets, they're teaching me to yearn. And in that yearning, I'm able to worship you in a completeness they weren't able to because I see the victory of the cross and the empty tomb. Oh God, I, I know what the manger meant now. And my children have more to be excited about than what fills a sock. I mean, do we see that? Are, are, we stirred, are we stirred by this? Are we moved by the reality that, Lord, this is so beautiful that all of their waiting and their, their yearning and how they long for you, God, and I read that, I, the disconnection I feel is only because I'm not waiting on you to show me. You want me to know this. Imagine the anticipation of the person during the, these events, when there's news of another neighbor who was killed or, or another house that was lost or another threat that's coming from the king. Guys, do you know what my social media was doing over, listen, just follow me on this. Social media's response over just the news of some strain of a virus in Africa? People are already making commitment now to shut down and bury themselves in a hole. Now, I'm not trying to make light of that. I'm just telling you. But the news of this? God, we're so drunk. We're drunk. We're not being sober-minded. Lord, these people, as they waited, they would go to bed at night not hoping that Bing Crosby was going to get it right. They were going to bed at night saying, oh God, one day you're coming. One day your word is right. You will come and you will, you will send your son. You will send the king. He will come, I believe it. Church, look at me. He has come. See, he's come. Advent. The arrival of a notable person or a thing or an event. You know what I think of right now? If the prophets and disciples and apostles, that all these prophecies were serving us, those who are able to see the historical impact of the resurrected Jesus, how does that move us today? I'm going to be honest because I can't read your face and so I don't know if you're with me. So how does that move us right now? I mean, they were able to see the war-torn landscape so they get the coming of the Messiah in a different way than we do, right? So what does it mean for us? Open your Bibles. It's not going to be on the screen. Open your Bibles. Just do your best. If you don't have your Bibles, just look on your phone or something. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Here's what it means to you. This, this is what this means. When the prophets prophesied and they, they searched and they inquired and it was revealed to them that, hey, this, this isn't, 
You guys are going to be the ones that really are going to impact this. You know, you know what that meant? Look at this. And I want you to hear this. And I want it to ring louder than any other garbage that we're trying to sell you with a price tag right now. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Merry Christmas. I added the last part. You will receive power, dunamis. Do you know when Jesus said the word dunamis, every one of those guys sat up a little straighter? There's a lot of words in the Greek vocabulary he could have used. He chose dunamis. You've heard me. I won't re-preach this. I'm just going to re remind you. It takes seven English synonyms for us to wrap our minds around that one little Greek word means. Jesus was saying, you will receive a supernatural empowering you will receive every resource you need. Every, this isn't a, a thing where it says you're going to receive your comfortable jet to fly off to different lands. He's saying, I'm going to equip you with everything necessary to take the gospel in advance, and you'll, you're, you're going to experience tremendous victory. Some of you are going to die. Victory. Oh, Christmas is not simply us, us doing the, the, the garbage that, that, we, that we see that's in my home. It's, I'm not just saying it to you. It's, it's me as a, as, a, as a dad, as a husband. I mean, it's not just the, the Hallmark price tag stuff. Here's what it is. It's us on this side saying, God, you did. You sent your son. He came. He came. Hallelujah. He came. And he promised us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has filled us. And he's going to equip us. His power will empower us with everything necessary to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. The problem is now we've bought so much into the crap that we're starting to say, I'm not sure suffering is on my menu. Matter of fact, here's my menu. And for Jesus' birthday, make it happen. We're going to go a little long. Stay with me. Please, please join me right now in feeling a little uncomfortable. I'm not wanting to demonize anyone, but I'm wanting us to take everything to the feet of Christ and say, expose it all, Jesus. Do you hear what Peter's saying? prophets, they, they saw it long and hard and then it was told to them that who they were really serving was you. Why? We didn't know Herod. We didn't see the horrible atrocities they went through. 
Here's why. Because the baby coming meant a cross. It meant a cross where Jesus would die, where nails would pierce his hands. That's the mission of the Christ, the office of the Christ. It meant his body would be broken. So that little baby who is swaddled that right now, and, and by the way, let me just say this. I detest when we joke about, well, I like my Jesus, that little bitty baby wrapped it. I hate that. I'm just saying. Because that little baby right there, that news, that fully God, fully man miracle was about to crush every king, every kingdom, and rescue the most pathetic sinner like me. And that baby would grow and never sin. It blows my mind. Was a teenager never sinned? How in the world? Perfect. Went through his 20s, never lusted. How did that happen? Never sinned. Perfect Savior. Loved his father hung on every word from his father, went to the cross, was pierced, died, bled, broken, buried, left, alive. Alive. And he looked at his followers and said, you're about to receive power. And the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And here's what this power is going to do. You're going to talk about me. You're going to tell people about me. You're going to go to the neighborhoods that were never rebuilt because of the news of me. You're going to tell the people who are homeless around there about me. You're going to tell the, the people who have been disenchanted because of the religious upheaval and they lost hope because their families lost hope because of the wars that happened over the church. You're going to tell them about me. You're going to tell your, your boss about me. You're going to go to Samaria and you're going to tell the half-breeds about me. You're going to go to the other side of the world. They're going to look different than you. You're going to tell white people about me. going to tell everybody and here's the beauty I'm empowering you to do it now once a year the church comes together and we say Father bring us back to the anticipation bring us back to the that beautiful moment where we we're yearning forgive us God when the weight of the day distracts over the victory where we start saying, my job's too hard. I got yelled at today. FedEx put my puzzle in a ravine. And help us come back. Jesus,
He came. And now, here's what Christmas means. A life filled with the Holy Spirit. Capable of every task Jesus calls us to. Merry Christmas. Think about it. I remember at U at Trustful High School, I had a Spanish teacher named Senor Walker. He hated me. And I didn't take anything he said serious. I mean, I'm not even going to get into that because it's not even part of the sermon. For two years, I took Senor Walker. Curious? No. I took it for two years. (laughs) One day I found myself in a Mexican prison. Church related. But here I was in a prison in Mexico and we were building a little church. And uh, I was sitting there and it was great. So excited this guy comes up to me he begins talking he knew a little bit of English I think he had the English exposure in his school that I had of the Spanish exposure in mine and yet here we are talking we began to talk and I recalled a little bit of Spanish I saw my wife starting to walk up and she turns around and walks off she comes up to me afterwards she said where did you learn Spanish? I said, well, uh, Senor Walker, yo, no me gusta Spanish. She said, Rick, you, you were really, you sounded, said, sweetheart, I remember a little bit. I heard some from our interpreters. This guy knew enough English. She said, his English was as bad as your Spanish. You want me to tell you what happened there? But wait, I'm not making this very simple. In that moment, the gospel won. I knew enough conjugation of these verbs. God helped. He knew enough English. God helped. And two brothers sat in a prison in Mexico and talked about the redeeming work of the blood and sanctification through the work of That's Christmas. No trees, no lights. That's because Messiah came. You are capable of everything Christ has called you to do. In your job, your school. But it's not about you. It's about the gospel. It's not about your victory per se as you define it. It's about the gospel. It's Christ in you that's the hope of glory. Are you living 
with the yearning and the preparation. Just say, God, rekindle that in my heart. So that no matter where I find myself, if it's at the end of my driveway or if it's some weird place on the other side of the world, ask our deacons if they would come forward. In just a moment, they're going to hand out these little tokens of the Lord's Supper. And If you're new with us, there's two things I want to make sure that you hear from me before we do this. Number one, the only requirement to take part of communion is that you've been born again. It's not about being a member of North Valley Church. That's not what this is. This isn't a North Valley thing. This is about have you been washed in the blood of Jesus' name. And, and if you have questions about that, I would just say, you don't have to participate. Just I've done that before, by the way. So you're, you're fine. In just a moment, when they hand this out, I'll give you some instruction. You can pull back the first tab, and it will expose this little wafer. The second tab will expose what will represent this juice that will represent the blood of Christ. But as we pray in this moment, let's just ask God to expose it all. Expose it all. Father, would you speak to our hearts with the intimacy and the compassion and the strength that only you can do. And prepare our hearts, Lord, to celebrate what this Advent means. Our hearts would yearn for you, love you,
think that's what's always humbled me is the idea of Mary holding that baby because I knew how scared I was holding our children when they were born. My, my thoughts of pure protection for Noah. It just is so juxtaposed against the Father's willingness and knowingly sending His Son. Perfect, sinless, glorious Son to save a wretch like me. God hater. Someone who would hear the news and guys listen to this. Who would hear the news but yet would still actively chase after my flesh. Even after voicing my love for Christ every day seeing God unless you went out. I'm. That's a battle I look forward to the day when I stand before you and it's a battle no longer. Every day, Lord, I need you. Every day. That night, and right before Jesus would go on that mockery of a trial, before he was scourged, he sat with his disciples and he took the bread. And he said, guys, this, this bread represents my body. And then he broke it. He blessed it. Gave it to them and he said, you know, as you eat this, I want you to remember what you're about to see, the, the events that you're about to see. You remember this. Don't forget this. Hey, church, let's not forget. Take it. And he took the cup. He said, this is my blood that's poured out. So I saved point number three of the sermon for right now. And I'll simply say it this way. Angels long to see. The heart the Bible describes was at war with God. It describes by nature we were children of wrath. Blood poured out. Blood was spilled. We were adopted. Greater love is more than this. Thank you, God. Jesus took the cup. He blessed it. And he drank. And as you do, I want you to remember this. There is no sin that can 
that separate you, child of God. No height, no depth, no anything in between. The redeemed heart set free. love you, Jesus. We submit our homes to you. Give us ears to hear. We pray that our homes will be filled with laughter and smiles. Lots of laughter, lots of smiles. God-blessed and God-given tears. We pray for those God-appointed seasons of grief and those hours of dancing and praise to you, Lord all in recognition of your coming. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. We love you. In Jesus' name.